0: It wasn't exactly like that on our first date, but it was close. It was close Uh, where Janet invited me. You know how I had asked her to go on a date. Um, I used, you know, you know, it's meant to be, you know, it's a match made in heaven. When you use a line from Dumb and Dumber to uh, ask your, your friend out on a date, I said, what's the chances of a guy like you and a girl like me getting together? One in a thousand, she goes, more like one in a million. And I said, so you're telling me there's a chance, all right. <laughs> well, welcome to week two of a series we're simply calling Better. Truth is, you're not gonna have a perfect year. A perfect year is impossible, but a better one is possible. And so looking back at last year, some of you, I had a great year. Others of you, I had an okay year. Some of you, I had a year from hell last year. And regardless of where you are, I wanna say no matter how great it was, I can tell you it can be better. And don't worry, even though it was tough, there's hope. And so how do we look at the different aspects of our life and get just a little bit better? But you know, at the beginning of the year, we always start strong. We're going to get in the gym. We're going to save that money. We're going to get out of that debt. We're going to make more time for this, make more time for that. We always start strong. And the same was true with Jesus and his followers. They, they started strong. They would see him, you know, raise the, the dead. And they'd see him turn you know, H2O into Merlot. And they would see him feed thousands with a to-go box from Red Lobster. They would see all these cool things. And they wanted to be a part of that. In fact, there's a story we started with last week where Jesus is along the road and somebody says, ride or die, I'm with you for life. What do I got to do everywhere, all day, every day? And Jesus says, are you sure? Because this ain't going to be easy. This is going to be tough. And he stops in that moment and he looks at someone else and says, do you want to follow me? And he's like, oh, yeah, I want to follow you, but I got to take care of these issues first. And someone else is like, I'll follow you, but first let me go take care of some stuff at home. You know, there's some issues, you know how she can be. And, and all this conversation going on and Jesus says it. he wraps up all of their busyness and the stuff they, they, they feel like are, it, there's always something going on. He wraps it up by saying this. He says, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day and i know there's always like hey tomorrow we're going to do that and it's be- the beauty of a new year is well, that's when we're going to go but but the truth is it is one day At a time, it is instituting what we called last week the consistency effect. If you're taking notes, just write them down on your notes. It is small things consistently over time that lead to big things. That's positive things, that's negative things. That's wonderful things, that's dreadful things. Little bitty things are big things in disguise. Little decisions are big decisions in disguise. Little choices are big choices in disguise. And so what we wanna do is we wanna start the new year and we're going, man, we are gonna kill it at Planet Fitness, ah, 30 minute room, three times in a row, and that lasts like two days. But when when in reality, the consistency effect says, okay, one day at a time. You know, we wanna get 100% better in one day, but what if you could get 1% better? What if you could just align just a couple of things? Then instead of setting your alarm for three hours earlier, 30 minutes, make the best of that 30 minutes, then make it 40 minutes consistency. One step. Jesus says, when you accept me as Savior and as Lord, it's not like it's going to all happen at once. Many people, they want that when they follow Christ, all of their wildest dreams come true, and it just isn't the case. There's still issues. You still got problems. There's still dysfunction. Do you know why Jesus chose dysfunctional people to follow him as his disciples? I mean, you had people that were jealous of who was gonna sit who, by who next to Jesus in the kingdom. There was, you know, Peter denied him. Thomas was a doubter. Why did he choose such dysfunctional people to follow him? Because that's all he had to choose from. They were dysfunctional. You were dysfunctional. I want Timber Creek to put the fun in dysfunctional. But, but what we do see is step by step, one decision after the next, how it creates something. You can see that in Judas. One step after the next, his arrogance, his opinions, his thoughts brought him to a place. The same way with that, that affair, that back it up, back it up, back it up, back it up, and it's just a like on a Facebook page. It's just an emoji sent on a text. And little things consistently over time can lead to big things. Now, in order to have a better year, I want us to not just institute the consistency effect, but we want to ask a question, and I just want to say this may be a little awkward today. Uh, You may have to do some honest and awkward evaluation of your heart. You may have to do some honest evaluation of of what your life is is looking like, but I want to simply start by asking this question. All locations, just write this down. Here's... Here's the question we want to dive into today, and it's this. What am I holding on to that's holding me back? Another way to say it would be, what's holding, what are you holding on to that's holding on to you? Um, you know, I've got here something that is attractive to me, and I see it, and I look at it, and I, and I, and I say, hmm, I wonder what it'd be like to... To have that. And so I I place my hand in and I grab it. And then when I go to pull my hand, I'm holding on to it, but it's actually holding on to me. What are you holding on to that's holding you back? Is it something that you feel compelled to keep hidden? Because if it were found out, it'd be hard to explain. Is it something that it's, you know what? It's a good thing, but it's taking so much of your time. It's keeping you from other things. It's something you're holding on to that's good things. It's not, it's not a sin issue. It's not something drastic or, or, or horrible. It's a good thing, but it's keeping you from the better things. What are you holding on to that's holding you back? But many times what we tend to hang on to are things in our life that become unhealthy, that become a burden, it becomes something we were never designed to hang on to. We were designed to live free. But all of a sudden, the more we hang on to it, we don't have it. It has us and we feel trapped. We feel bound. We feel like we can't. There's not much more that we can go to. There's not more other places that we can, we can run to and it's wearing you down. What's wearing you down that's holding you down? What's making a monkey out of you? You know, this is basically called, and you can see it online, some of you are already Googling it right now, it's the way our generation is. It's called the monkey trap. The monkey trap's an old trap that, that was, it was used, you'd take a, 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 a calabash tree and a calabash gourd, and the monkeys loved to swing through the calabash trees and they would take a gourd and they'd drill a small little hole. They'd hammer out a small little hole in a calabash gourd, just real tiny. And they'd fill that gourd, that empty gourd up with nuts and fruits and maybe even a couple small bananas. And they'd hang that gourd back on the calabash tree. And sure enough, good old curious George would swing along and would come up to the tree and would see the gourd and see the hole. And mm, me likey. And all of a sudden they would put their hand in the hole of the calabash gourd and they'd grab a handful of those fruits and nuts and a banana and when they'd go to, to pull the, the hand out, their hand was stuck because the, their fist was larger than the hole in the gourd. And what's crazy is, those monkeys would hang on to that fruit and that nut. You can see a video on YouTube. They start screaming, ah, get this thing off of me, ah. Do you, know, do you know what that trap, you know what kind of monkeys that works on? The kind of monkeys that won't let go. It's not any kind of special chimpanzee. It's any monkey that won't let go. What are you hanging on to that's making a monkey out of you? And I can give you the whole sermon in a nutshell. Let go and run away, let go and run away. Go roadrunner, on this thing, beep, beep, whoosh, and go. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? Because here's what happens, the longer we hang on to these things that are hanging on to us, it really, it becomes part of my identity. And I start seeing my life no different than this addiction. No different than this unhealthy relationship. In fact, it may not even be something you're holding on to. It's some, it's someone, it's some dating relationship. Hey, all the single ladies. Oh, the single ladies. You're hanging on to that relationship. I mean, he's he's a good guy, you know. He's robbed a few places, killed a couple guys, no big deal. His eyes, though, are so blue. And your mom's like, sweetie, I don't, I don't think don't judge me, mom. Don't judge, you know, she's probably giving you good judgment, not judging you. But it can be so crazy how blind we can get when something becomes part of our identity and we cannot see ourselves apart from the thing that's holding us back. What can happen is not only does it become part of my identity, but I can feel increasingly hopeless. There's no way I'm ever going to get rid of this. I might as well just deal with it. I might as well just make all of my t-shirts look like this. I might as well make the whole of my t-shirt big enough to carry this because that's just the way it is. And so we start accommodating what we're hanging on to that's holding on to us. We become defensive and defeated. Hey, you worry about you. I'll worry about me. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need, I'm, I've got, you know, hand it to me. I, I don't know if you can carry this because you've kind of got some I can carry it. Give it to me. You're greeting people. Hi, how are you? I'm Jeremy. What's your name? And, and they're like, What's going on? It becomes obvious. And I become defensive over it. What are you holding on to that's maybe holding you back? And here's the truth that what happens to these things, whether you're a Christ follower or, or whether you're investigating the claims of Christ, you don't have to be a Christian for this to be an issue. You don't have to be an un, a non Christian for this to be an issue. Because anything that holds on to you like this, in fact, write it down like this. When I obey it, I make myself a slave to it. When I obey it, I make myself a slave to it. Now, the word slave, slavery, it smacks a little bit. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable because of, of, of the dark stain of slavery, not only on this country, but on multiple countries and multiple generations. And, and, and this is nothing new to the word of God. The word of God had just as much dysfunctional people as 2020. Uh, The word of God has as many dysfunctional leaders as 2020 as many people hanging on to what's hanging on to them in the word of God than is in January of 2020. And the apostle Paul, who wrote more letters to different churches and church leaders than any other author in the Bible, in the New Testament, he writes several different letters to these different churches. And one church is the church in Rome. It is the mouth of the lion. It is the lion's den of the empire, of the government. And there are churches springing up, uh, sprouting all throughout the, the the in the belly of the beast of Rome. Paul writes to these Christians who are struggling with knowing what to do, but then they don't do what they know to do. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, me too, me too. And so Paul begins to write them truth and he gives them biblical principles, principles that become biblical principles. And he's telling them all kinds of things. And he he writes this long letter to the Romans, oh, long, 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 long letter. And every once in a while, he's got to stop and say, you, 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 do know, you do understand this, don't you? You, you? you get it, right? And then he realizes, ooh, maybe I'm talking over their head, so I need to explain this in a little bit different way. And so he'll stop, and he'll say, what I mean by that is, is this. And the way he would say that is he would say, don't you know, or hey, don't, do, do you know this, or, or don't you get it, that, that this is what it's supposed to be? Maybe I should have said this in advance, but don't you know? And he gives us in Romans 6 something that has to deal with this whole stuff that's hanging on to us. And he says, don't you know, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, someone or something. Now, they understood slavery in the heart of Rome. Slavery was a major issue, a normal issue there. The apostle Paul goes on, don't you get it? You're slaves. slaves? I'm a free man. No, no, you're slaves to the someone or the something that you obey. Paul goes on to say, now, whether you're slaves to sin, which obviously leads to death, or you're slaves to obedience, understanding the word of God and following in Christ-like character, convictions, and conduct, which leads to righteousness. You do know that regardless, one way or the other, you're connected to something. And what you're connected to is gonna determine where you head. Now, Paul doesn't leave us in the dark and he doesn't leave us with this grim like, oh man, this is terrible. He says, thanks be to God, though, there's a way out. He says, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. Now, let me break that down for you. You have come to obey from your heart. Let me say something to you. Following Christ doesn't start with obeying. It starts with believing. Believing is the beginning of becoming you believe He is who He says He is and you aren't where you need to be yet, but you believe He is who He says He is, then you start a process of obedience to Him. If we really say He's my Savior who saves me, but he's also my Lord who should rule over me, then not only does he save me, and it's nothing you could do or you'd boast about it. I got saved because I did this and I gave this and I I went and I volunteered four hours on this. Oh, look at me. And at Christmas time, we always do this little thing for people. (laughs) Don't matter. It's not about what you could ever do. It's about what Jesus has done. But then we begin to obey. And that obedience comes not from the head, but deep down in the soul, in the, in the heart, I can tell you my love for my wife isn't based on a marriage license I signed. That's a head thing. That's a, that's a license thing. Being faithful to my wife and loving my wife is from the heart. Because sometimes my head can get a little frustrated. Now she's never frustrated with me. Because living with me is like living with I don't know, (laughs) shingles, okay. But we've got to obey and what do we obey? Not just one thing, we obey a pattern of teaching. What? We obey a what? Say it with me, all locations. a pattern of teaching that now claims our allegiance. I have no problem with pledging allegiance to the flag. I'm proud to be an American. But can I tell you that in this day and age and in Paul's day and age, many times there was a stronger allegiance to a government than there was to their God. And using the guise of governmental realities and governmental situations, we take off the pattern of teaching of the word of God and we act just like the world would want us to act. And we have an allegiance to some political party, be it Republican or Democrat or independent or you name it, and if we're not careful, all of a sudden the pattern of our obedience follows a political party versus the Word of Jesus. Ooh, watch it, careful, because this kind of teaching that goes from the head to the heart—that's got to claim our allegiance. Otherwise, it's this kind of thing that has our allegiance. Whatever we're holding on to, that's holding onto us. Now Paul doubles down. He doesn't just stop there. In another letter to a church in Corinth, another city, he says, uh, you may not know this, but don't you know, starts again, don't you know? I don't know, okay, well, I'm gonna tell you, here we go. Don't you know, your bodies are temples. Now, that may sound familiar to somebody who grew up in church, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You hear that, but in the New Testament, in the New Testament church in the first century, they didn't put two and two together the temple was a temple like it's a place where you you go and there's a high priest and you you sacrifice uh, an animal, and so you atone for your sin because that blood is, is sacrificed by the high priest. And, and like, it's a sacred place, and you would walk in there with special reverence, and you would walk in slowly. And, and, and do you know that even today, you can, go to the Aust- you can go to Austin, and you can go to the place where they set the rule, you can go to the house uh, there, and the steps into the, onto the floor are, are awkward. They're, they're, not, they're not the same size. And the tour guide was guiding us And they said, well, it's made out of limestone and they couldn't cut it a certain way. And so it's just watch your step because they're uneven. And also this this door into the house, into the chamber, it's a little small. And so you kind of watch your head. You don't want to bump your head. I don't know why they did that. I guess everybody was short. I I, I said to the tour guide on the side, he said, hey, I'm not trying to do your J-O-B. Okay. But actually the same is in the temple in the Old Testament that all of the steps leading up to the temple were were awkwardly placed. Do you know why? So instead of running up those steps, like you'd run up the bleachers, you have to slow down as you enter the temple and watch your step. Interesting, isn't it? You know why the the door is so small? It's not because everybody was short back in 1822. It's so that the, the leaders of the day would realize, I humble myself, I bow down, and I enter. Don't tell me this nation wasn't built on godly principles. Don't let anybody tell you we were built, even our buildings were built on godly principles, everybody. Don't you know that your bodies are temples? So What, is it, what, what does this mean? It means your bodies are sacred. A temple is a sacred place. It's where heaven meets earth, but you don't have to come to Timber Creek or any other church for heaven to meet earth. Your body's the temple now. Your body's the tip. That's the place where this happens. He says, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. And you didn't get the Holy Spirit on your own by biting your bottom lip or doing a bunch of good things. No, 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 no. You've received it from God. When you ask him to, to be the Lord of your life, his spirit awakens inside of you. And then Paul says... So listen, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You're not your own, you are bought. You you have been paid for. You know what happens to Christmas decorations after Christmas, don't you? Some of you, I mean, you're excited. You get your walking shoes on. Uh, You're going in your pajamas after Christmas. I'm gonna go buy that Christmas tree that's 84% off, bless God. Now, why do they mark Christmas trees down 70, 80, 90% after Christmas? Because all of a sudden, the value of that tree does not match the price of the tree. And so the reason why things are slashed, prices are slashed, is because you're only gonna pay what you feel like it's worth. And so Jesus says through Paul, you're bought at a price, And your price is set on the perceived value. And your value is so high that Jesus did not sacrifice just a loaf of bread for you. He gave his life for you. It places unbelievable value on you. And so if you were created, which you were, And if you were bought at a price, even though this becomes, we become a slave to this, this becomes our master. This becomes the price we pay. But I want to tell you that today, you and I need to remember, I already have a master. I already have a master. And the master I have is much better than this mastering my life. And I know that's it's like, well, it's just, it just is what it is. It's just, I'm, I'm just going to be this way. It's just, you know, I get angry and I get ticked off and that's how my daddy was and that's how my granddaddy was. And so just get off the train tracks when the train's coming through. Ha, ha. Yeah, maybe that is who you are, but, but it's not who Jesus has called you to be. And you don't have to hang on to that just because mom said you'd always be just like your dad or just because you feel like you can't ever get beyond that. So if you already have a master who paid an incredible price for you, what are, some, what are some significant realities about that master? Can I just remind you, you may know this, but sometimes it's the simple things that we forget. It's the simple things. I mean, you come into church and the pastor wants to give you some kind of dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant, and it's like, but my, my marriage is in a wreck. Like, Yeah, but but I'm great that you just told me the 12 names of the disciples. That's awesome. Can you help me with this thing right here? So I want to tell you that first, God still loves me and wants to help. God's not mad at you. Okay, He's not not angry with you. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people that, that say, I was afraid to come to church, afraid that the walls would cave in when I came. No, he, he wants to help you. He's not leaning over the wall of heaven waiting to slap you in the face with a belt next time you mess up. In fact, John 3.16, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, when you take it one verse later, John 3.17 John says it like this, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. How could you do that, you dirty dog? Telling the world how bad it was. You don't need the pastor to tell you how bad things are in your life. I have a feeling you can feel it yourself. I have a feeling when things go off road, when there's a wheel in the ditch, you kind of know it, don't you? You can kind of like, you know, gauge the heat in the room. You don't, you don't need me beating you over the face with the King James Version. You need help. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what we wanna do here. We, we can't meet Jesus for you. Pastor can't pray for you. I'll pray over you. I'll pray with you. Can't pray for you. Your grandma can't get you to heaven on her own prayers. But Jesus came to help and we want to help you. I'm, I'm more of a tour guide than a pastor. We're here to help. Next week, we will launch all of our new groups and our experiences. Um, if you're kicking the tires on Timber Creek, go at your own pace. We don't, we don't twist anybody's arm around here. We're not going to push you. We just, we're here just to guide you, not push you. And, and I want to say that, that we have all kinds of things from starting point, which is your first step, Every Sunday morning at 9.30, you can connect with Starting Point. It's a four-week process. Starts every first Sunday of the month. Goes first Sunday is session one. Second Sunday is session three. Just kidding. It's session two. It makes sense. It's the second Sunday. Session three, session four, it's done. It's our process of figuring out what's this church all about. Why do we do what we do? How do I get connected? How do I serve on a team? And so dream teams and groups and Grow track, which was an intentional pathway that lasts a semester on picking up the conduct and the convictions and the character of Christ. And then ultimately, Encounter is really, you want to take this sermon today and, and you, want to, you want to dive off the diving board into the deep end of freedom? Encounter is the place that you want to jump into. It's on Sunday nights and it's a series of just s- stepping away from stuff like this because you are called to be free. In fact, that's the next thing we need to know about our master, God can free me, he can. If you want to stay bound, he won't force you. It's just like eternity. If you don't wanna serve God here, if you don't wanna be connected to God here, God's not gonna force you to stay connected and serve him in eternity. He's not gonna force that on you, but he can free you. Paul says it in another place to the the letter to Rome, He says, you no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ is like a strong wind. It has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. It doesn't start with you biting your bottom lip. It starts with receiving the breath of fresh air that is in Jesus that starts the freedom process. Salvation is instant, you're free. But sometimes freedom in your mind, it, it, it takes some steps. I want you to know that he doesn't just die for you, set you new and free you, he wants to restore you. He can rest- God, my master can restore me. He can restore me. David said it like this. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, because I know if you're in the room and you're breathing, there's been troubles in your life. The Bible says, whenever you accept Christ, all your troubles go away. No, that's not what it says. It says it rains on the just and the unjust. It pours down on the righteous and the unrighteous. Like you can love Jesus and terrible things happen. You can love Jesus and pray hard and be sick. And you wonder why, why God, how God? But here's what God is promising. In the middle of all that, whether on this side of heaven or the other, he can restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, he will again bring me up. So I guess you have a choice. If you want to live like this, you can. If you want to live being held back, if you want to live with a burden, you can. But if you want to be free, you can be free too. You can be free too. So, so can I suggest this to you? Can I suggest maybe a pattern of thinking, a pattern in your heart for no more monkey business? No more monkeys jumping on the bed? How do, we, how do we get the monkey off our back? How do we deal with the elephant in the room? Boy, we're sounding like Noah's Ark. I ought to bring that in here somewhere. No more monkey business. Here's what we do. Here's, here's, here are some steps that whether you are a long-time Christ follower, because I can tell you, you can be long-time following Jesus and still bound up. You can still have some issues. Your pastor isn't exempt from issues. So here's, here's the first step. You've got to start trusting. You, you, you've got to start trusting. Like, like, what, like what the... Uh, like what a famous prince in the Middle East said to someone he had just met, do you trust me? I don't know, why shouldn't I trust you? I mean, you are riding on a carpet, stalking me in my backyard over my fence. Why shouldn't I trust you? I've only known you for one day. Prince Ali, if that's your real name, it's not. I mean, just 48 hours earlier, he's a street rat and he's trying to justify his actions. I gotta steal to eat. I gotta eat to live. I mean, I gotta take it. Don't trust him. But Jesus says, hey, I got a better track record. Trust me. Trust me. Do you know what trust says? Do you know what trust? Trust is answering a question that you've been asking since birth. Do you know what that question is that you've been asking since birth? You don't even know you've been asking it. But I tell you, in every single relationship, before you can even form words, you're asking this question. It's the question that little Cooper was asking himself, little baby, the youngest child of our our youth pastors. He was asking it when Pastor Cameron yesterday handed me Cooper and he came into my arms and and his eyes went from (laughs) to... What was the question? What was the question that he couldn't verbalize, but he was trying to tell his dad? The question was Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I okay? And it's the question you ask in every relationship. It's the question you ask in business. It's the question you ask when you're having to make a decision Am I safe? Is this okay? Trust answers the question I'm safe. I'm okay. Trusting in Jesus, no matter what it looks like, gives you this overwhelming fresh air that says, I'm okay, I'm safe. Probably when you came into the room today, you didn't grab the seat you're in at one of our locations and go, oh, that's good. That's solid wood right there. That's good. I wonder who put that together. You probably didn't do that. You you probably didn't go. You didn't do that. Probably some of you are like, here we go again. <laughs> Wonder how long he's gonna preach this week. <laughs> Trust helps me to lean in and say I'm safe and to be able to put my weight on it. Do you know this is, this is why an affair so deeply can wound a marriage. It's not just the action, that can hurt, that can grieve. It's not just the physical action or the physical attraction it's that then that marriage, trust is broken. And so every time there's something, one spouse is asking the other spouse, am I safe with you? Can I, I I was, I used to be able to, to just lean into you and trust you, but you have knocked a leg out of my chair and I don't know, I don't know how long it's gonna take for the glue to stick again. I don't know how long it's gonna take for me to be able to fall into you again. Am I safe? And what Jesus wants to say to you and me, my name is like a strong tower. The righteous run to me and are safe. He says, the steadfast love of me never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They're new every morning. You're safe. The author in Proverbs says it like this, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Because your brain is going to lie to you. Your feelings, they don't lie to you. Don't you be listening to Jiminy Crickets. Always let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket's a liar. He's a liar. And he's a grasshopper. Don't listen to grasshoppers. We think in our head we got it figured out. We got a strategy. We got our own theories about life and about, you know, this big, this being a big man upstairs, the big guy. I want to tell you, he's more than just the big. He is God with us. He wants relationship. He wants you to trust him from the bottom of your heart when it may not make sense up here, but you know that you know that you know whew, I'm safe. I'm okay. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. We've got some smart people in this church. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God, run from evil. And here's the promise. (laughs) Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. I tell you, I've sat by the bed of a very sick woman who although her body is sick, I wanna tell you her very bones vibrate with life because she continues to trust in the Lord and not on her own understanding. It's my friend, Billie Jean, many of you know her. If you don't, your life is better when you do. Her body may be weak but but the, the, the spirit that lives forever is glowing, glowing. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what's hanging on to you, I want to tell you that's what we want to develop this year. We want to get better at trust because it's the bedrock of all other things in a relationship. That's why we do these closer nights on Wednesday nights to the month of January. 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's a time of extended worship and, and kind of heated up prayer. And we pray over things. We reflect. And I invite you to be a part of that. For the first 21 days of the year, we, we're, we're praying together. We're, we're saying no to some stuff. It's called fasting in order to disconnect from the, the world a little bit and reconnect to God. That's what fasting and prayer does. And I invite you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., right here for one hour. We don't go a minute over we have a prayer time with hundreds of other churches live streamed in, and it's, it's led, and, it, and it's not like, oh, man, what am I going to do? It goes fast. And all of that is part of trusting Jesus. But you can't stop with trusting. You then got to take some other steps. You got you to you follow through with where the trust takes you. And number two, you've got to acknowledge the root. The root may not be what you think it is. It, it, it may not be exactly what you thought it was. But can I tell you that the root of all of this, the root of all of it is sin. Everybody say it loud with me. Sin. Decent, it's decent. Sin. Now, in order to, to, to tell you, you need to acknowledge the root. Sometimes, sometimes it isn't what you think it is. And, and let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Let me show you, let me show you a picture. The question is, why is dentistry important? Okay, well, the answer is this. Because even though he's missing an eyebrow, the first thing you notice is his smile. It's the first thing you notice, isn't it? How many of you didn't see that? How many of you did not see the eyebrow at all locations? Of course, yeah, me either. I saw it last night on Facebook. I'm like, that's going in the sermon. Now, how do I figure out how to apply it? You know, that's going in whether whether it means anything or not. Here's what it means: Many times we think of the product of sin like um, the affair, like the like like an addiction that keeps you, that hurts you, that hurts you. You're a temple, and when it hurts you, it's a sin. It hurts you. Hurts other people around you. It's a sin. And don't, don't think for a second that you, you sin in a vacuum. Many times what you do can hurt other people. You just don't see it sometimes. But here's what I'm saying. It's not about the action of the addiction. It's not about the coping mechanism of the affair. You back up and it's the bigger issue that you don't see. The blatant issue is like the, the, the toothless smile. But the deeper issue that you have to look harder on is this. Basically sin is I'm in charge and don't need God. That's what sin is. Packaged for you to understand. I'm in charge. I don't need God. I've got my theories. I'm going to be the king of my heart. When we first started this message, I read a scripture where Jesus said, No procrastination, no backward looks. God's kingdom is at hand. My question for you is, Where's God's kingdom? What's the geography of God's kingdom? How big is God's kingdom? Where does it start and where does it stop? Can I tell you, I have an answer for you. God's kingdom is wherever he is Lord. Wherever he rules, that's his kingdom. He taught us how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a matter of fact, in the original manuscript, it says it this way, your kingdom come on, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what you're made of? Earth. You're made of dust. May his kingdom come as will be done in earth as it is in the way he designed it. So every time that I am in charge and I don't need God, basically I am annexing myself from the kingdom of God. I'm annexing, I'm, I'm severing myself from God's kingdom. Don't live like that. Let him be the ruler of your heart. Let him be in charge of the kingdom of your heart. You gotta acknowledge it, though. You gotta acknowledge the real issue, the root of the problem. You gotta want to change. Do you know that many times people, they know, they see, they understand, but they don't don't really wanna change. You gotta want to change. Jesus was walking along a dusty road there in the city, and he came across a man who had been paralyzed for a long time. The scripture says in John 5, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time. 38 years, as a matter of fact, the Bible says. He'd been in that condition 38 years, and the story is that Every year there was this moment where the, the pool would, would, would be stirred and people that went into the pool were healed and, and he was over by the pool and Jesus is asking him basically like, why haven't you gotten in the pool? And he, said, oh. and he gives a couple of excuses. But Jesus asks him this question. He sees him after being there a long time and he says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do, do you want your marriage to get better? He will help you. Do you want want that addiction that has been taking over you that you can begin to step away from it? And I believe that God can heal things immediately, but I also believe sometimes God uses a process of stepping away, consistently giving you the day at a time, one day at a time, one sober day at a time. Because many times, here's where you and I land. Like Paul, we often find that I have the desire to do good but not the power to do good. Anybody ever been there? I wanna do good, but then I don't have the willpower. It's not about your willpower. If willpower was enough, you'd already done it. There's not enough willpower in the world. The good news is, Paul doesn't leave us there. I often have the desire to do good, but not the power. Paul says, but God is working in you, giving you the desire, so see, If you're feeling like, oh, I wish I could get over this. I wish I could step beyond this. I wish I could get away from this. That may be Jesus speaking to you. You're not alone. You're not on an island. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's not mad or disappointed in you. He wants what's best for you. And God is working in you, giving you the desire, and he doesn't stop there. And the power to do what pleases him. Because it's not your power that you muster up. It's his power that he gives to us. So you got to trust. you got to acknowledge the root of the issue. Do you, do you want to change? Do you really want to change? Do you want to get well? And then when you come to that place, do you know what you do? You just ask him. You ask him, and it's, it's a process of just asking him and trusting him, acknowledging and asking and trusting And acknowledging and asking and trusting. And I'll end with this scripture. Stay with me, Nack. Stay with me, Dybal and Duncan. I'll end with this scripture. Psalmist David, King David wrote it this way. Talking about the people of God, people of the nation. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. They asked him, help me, God. And he saved them. He brought them out of darkness the utter darkness like the dark dark places don't you think that you're too far gone god could never fix this in my life i've gone too far utter darkness doesn't stop the light of the world utter darkness and he broke past the past he broke away their chains Jesus already paid for your freedom on the cross. You're free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You have to trust it and live in it. But maybe you found yourself free but coming back to some old things. Stepping back in. It was just, oh, the fruit was just so attractive. The psalmist doesn't stop there and say, well, you screwed everything up now. He says, no, no, no. Not only did he break off he broke the chains but he breaks down current right now present breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron and it may be gates and bars you put up in your own life he will cut through them the choice is yours You're not gonna be perfect. But with God's help, you can be better. All locations, would you close your eyes with me? Just bow your heads for a moment. We're gonna do business with God. And I wanna say to you, you cannot experience what I'm talking about today to the nth degree unless you've invited Jesus to be the center of your life. Maybe you've done that, but you've drifted. Hey, we're all like sheep. We drift. We go astray, the Bible says. But if you're here and you need to, for the first time or the first time in a long time, say, Jesus, be the center of my life, the Lord of my life. Sit on the throne of my heart. Let my life be part of the kingdom of God. If that's you in your own words, you simply say, Jesus, I surrender. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment invite you to help me to be my savior and to be my king I give my future to you and I give my past to you and I give right now this day to you thank you Jesus now for everybody in the room there in Nacogdoches right here Duncan and Dieball, I'm going to ask you instead of having your heads bowed and eyes closed I'm going to ask you to look right up at me Everybody, all locations, just look right at me. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I, I wrote this years ago, um, but I felt it was important to, to pray it over you again. And the reason I wrote it out is because I want to pray it very specifically. So I, if you'd like to receive this prayer, it's just a prayer over freedom in your life. Um, here's what I want to I invite you to do uh, at all locations I'm just gonna invite you, everybody, just just stand where you are, but stay where you are. Don't don't move, don't leave. I'll dismiss you in just a moment. This is a moment with God, and I, as your pastor, or as your guest pastor, because maybe you're kicking the tires on the church or whatever location. I just want to pray a prayer over you and your family, over you and your home, over you and your your life. And so here's what I invite you to do. If you're comfortable, I'd like I'd like you to do this. It's kind of a signal to God, just like a symbolism, okay? Same way like a cross is a symbol. Maybe just with one hand, place it on on a temple of of your head. And with the other hand, maybe just place it on your heart. Just like you would place a hand over your heart to pledge allegiance, this is kind of focusing in on what Jesus wants to say to you right now. Now, now I'm gonna ask you, you can close your eyes. I'm gonna pray this prayer over you, all locations. And I wanna to say to you, if you're new, this may feel a little aggressive, it's a little intense. It's okay, I just invite you just to receive the words of this, of this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise. Thank you for being faithful and just, quick to forgive, slow to anger. Thank you for not being mad at us or failing, for failing yet again but being steady to receive us as we are, not as we should be. And then you take us and you recreate us and make us new. Today, Father, together with this congregation, we surrender completely and unreservedly every area of our lives and our homes and our hearts to you. We take a stand against all the lies and endeavors of the enemy and his uncreative schemes that would want to rob this church and these people and these homes of the will of Almighty God so i stand with them right now in the mighty name of jesus and we stand against bitterness and unforgiveness against malice and envy and jealousy any spirit of insecurity or inferiority fear of rejection self-pity self-hate any unresolved anger any rage any violence and we take those thoughts captive those actions captive thoughts of sexual immorality impurity adultery fornication lust pornography we refuse to believe the enemy's lies in your strength we come against the power of depression and worry suicide anxiety self-hate self-destruction addiction and dependency, alcoholism, drunkenness, drugs, obesity. We cast off rebellion to authority, religious pride and heresy and stealing and slothfulness and laziness, unbelief and guilt and shame and embarrassment, any humiliation, every negative word that's been spoken to us about ourselves that we've spoken words that we've carried that others have spoken every negative word that's come from the enemy and we cast those off today we choose to be transformed by the renewing of our mind we believe everything you've said about us, jesus we are children of god we take captive every thought that goes against the truth of god's word we replace those thoughts with the power of christ the love of jesus the sound mind of god and we say thank you lord for guarding our homes for standing watch at the door, for giving us focus for your grace and your truth. And for today, we believe it in the name of Jesus for setting us free. And if you believe it, would you give glory to God this morning? Would you receive it this morning?